West of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the Tennessee River, between Walden Ridge and Little Mountain, lies the Sequatchie Valley. The valley is 150 miles long and impossibly straight, running roughly from Pikeville, Tennessee, into northern Alabama. Not far from Pikeville is Dayton, Tennessee, where in 1925, William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow tried the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. Bryan would die in Dayton just a few days after that trial ended, but that's another story. I traveled to the Sequatchie Valley for this episode. My guest today is 12th Judicial District Circuit Judge Justin Angel. I'm sitting down today with Judge Justin Angel. Justin is the uh, judicial is a circuit court judge in the 12th Judicial District in Tennessee. Um, was first elected in 2014. Um, grew up in Bledsoe County. Has a son Asher, who's seven now. Uh, graduated from Bledsoe County High School, went to University of Tennessee, uh, got a degree in political science there, and then went to law school in Atlanta. And uh, I'll read from a newspaper article that followed your election to the bench. This is from a 2014 article. At age 32, Angel was one of the youngest people to hold a trial judge post in Tennessee. He's also the first Republican in three or four decades to hold a trial judge's seat in the 12th Judicial District and the first to hail from Bledsoe County. That's pretty remarkable stuff. We'll unpack that. Uh, So you grew up in Bledsoe County. Tell me about growing up in Bledsoe County. I did. I was very blessed to have a great childhood over in Bledsoe. It's about 45 minutes north of where we're sitting here in the Sequatchie Valley. And parents are good, hardworking people who um, taught me the proper values and how to how to treat people and uh, be humble, work hard, stay focused, and you know, just, just really lucky to have them. I have two younger sisters. And uh, my parents, uh, they didn't have the opportunity to go to college, and so they really stressed education for me. They, they wanted me to uh, do good in school and, and go on to college and create some more opportunities for me that they didn't have. Were you the first person in your family to go to college? Yes, sir. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Um, so what did your parents do when you were growing up? Uh, my dad was a manager over at Lazy Boy uh, Furniture uh, Factory where they built sofas and couches over in Dayton, Tennessee. And uh, my mom, would, uh, she stayed home for a while. Then she um, got into um, like payroll and bookkeeping for different companies. And so she, they did that growing up. And we were we were latchkey kids. And they would get up uh, and they'd have to go to work uh, in the eastern time zone. We lived in the central time zone. And so they'd have to go to work before we were off to school. I have two younger sisters. I'm you know, four and five years older than them, and I'd have to make sure they got up and got breakfast and ready for school, had their had everything ready to go, catch the bus, and, and go to school, and then come home from school. My parents would be home, you know, usually a little after we got home from school, and that was that was my my childhood. But we we had some land, and um, my dad uh, he took me hunting and taught me about guns and and did all the camping and all the fun stuff that that I, I like to still do now and and passing on to my son. So you go to University of Tennessee, and when did you graduate there? 2003. 2003. Uh, you, you go to law school a few years later. What do you do in between college and law school? Well, I knew I wanted to go to law school, but man, I just was not ready to get back into the grind of school. <laughs> I, you know, I was fortunate enough to get through UT in four years, and then uh, I just wanted to take a break. And so I managed commercial construction, actually really interesting job, uh, Knoxville Preservation and Development. Uh, I would manage different projects they had going on. They'd buy old historic homes in North Knoxville, renovate them, put them back to the proper historic code and context, and then sell them. So I managed that for a couple of years, uh, then uh, moved to Atlanta and managed commercial construction for a year. And 
decided I would give up a really good job in commercial construction and go to law school. Did you always want to go to law school or did it, did it evolve? Uh, So in the summer of 98, I was selected luckily to serve as a congressional page in the house of representatives in, in DC. So for that summer, I was 16. I lived in DC and worked on the house floor. And just, which congressman? Uh, Zach Womp was the one okay. from Chattanooga. He was my, you know, my sponsor. When I got there, I actually worked for the entire Republican side of the house, but just really fell in love with politics, the process. And I was like, you know, one day I want to be up here in Congress. That was my goal as, as a 16 year old. And I started looking at all right, what, what do, what are these guys and uh, girls, you know, what would they study? You know, what would they do? What's their profession? There was just so many attorneys up there at that time. And so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to law school, and that's going to put me on a path to maybe get to Congress one day. That was my my dream as a 16-year-old So at kid. 16, you decide, I'm going to go to law school and become a congressman. That was my goal. Yep. All right. Well, you've managed to go to law school. Are you going to be a congressman? Uh, you know what? I uh, I like what I'm doing now. Okay. I, I You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to stay home and um, and uh, provide for my, my son and not have to be in D.C., and I love my job. Yeah, so – you get out of law school in 2010, mm-hmm. and what kind of – I assume you become a lawyer. Yes. I went back to my hometown of Pikeville in Bledsoe County and um, got in with, uh, with an attorney who's been there for a long time, Howard Upchurch. Uh, he's also the Sessions judge there. And uh, he he brought me into his law office, and uh, he was a sink or swim guy. He's, he's an excellent litigator, and he – I think my first day or two there, he threw me a file and said, go, you know, Go go do a preliminary hearing. Go do a jury trial and instantly. So I don't know about you, but my experience was, you know, I went to law school at Vanderbilt. And when I got out, I thought I knew everything, right? I passed the bar. I didn't know I had passed the bar, but I started practicing law before I learned that I had, in fact, passed. But I get out of law school and I get a great job. I get the dream job that I wanted. I was in a great law firm in Nashville up on the 22nd floor with power, power lawyers left and right. You know, I mean... I had the dream job and I get to my office in my new suit and there's two red wells on my desk with a memo from the two different partners that assigned me these tasks. And the first one says, prepare discovery in this case. And the second one says, prepare a motion for whatever it was. And I sat there and I thought, I don't know how to do either of those things. (laughs) (laughs) What do I do with, you know, I was completely stumped. So I've, picked up the files and I went down to some third year associates office and I said, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. So it, it turned out for me that law school, I guess, prepared me to be a lawyer, but not in the way that medical school probably prepares doctors to be doctors. Right. What about, what was your experience? Yeah, it definitely doesn't teach you how to litigate and be a proper advocate and how to navigate the judicial system. I think that's a lot of people get out of law school. They don't even know like where to file things, where to, uh, what the procedure is in court, any of that stuff. And so, you know, that's why if you're interested in that, you should do you know, summer internships and whatnot and get some experience. But, you know, uh, Mr. Upchurch was uh, sink or swim. Here's the file, go to court, you know, and uh, do it. And I learned a lot that way, and I was fortunate to have that, that opportunity. I started doing jury trials pretty quick. So if you're a young lawyer, here's a pro tip. File your own stuff. Go to the courthouse yourself and meet the clerks. Correct. And find out what they like and don't like. Don't send a runner. Don't send a courier. Don't send your assistant. You go do it. That's correct. And um, yeah, as 
yeah, that's the thing. You gotta gotta make those connections in the courthouse. Uh, your the bailiffs, the 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 guards that work the door, um, everybody, the, the assistant clerks, uh, everybody there. Um, you you need to work those contacts and and be uh, be polite and be nice, and and they will help you uh, so many times. They've they've saved me. Yeah, one of my mentors early on told me you should treat everybody as if they are tomorrow's ju- tomorrow's juror. That's true. So, all right. So you practice for a few years. And then you decide, I think I'd like to be a judge. Well, sort of. Uh, Okay. So how does that happen? Because to be (laughs) honest with you, that's, you were not in practice very long before you decided to seek a seat on the bench. Uh, Yes. And that, and that's not the customary path. Most of the time people are practicing for longer than that before they either are appointed or, or elected judge. That's true. And so my practice, I, I was able to, to build up within a couple of years, a pretty strong practice. And I was getting it to the point to where, um, I was, I was making the good income that I wanted to make, but I was working 80 hours a week and I had a newborn son at the time and I could see the writing on the wall. I could see that I was creating a great practice, but it was also going to own me. It was going to be a monster. Um, and, I was, I'd leave for work. My son would be asleep and I would come home and he would be asleep and I would maybe see him on the weekends unless I had a jury trial on Monday. And then I was in the office all weekend and I could see the writing on the wall. I want to coach his baseball one day. I want to be there for him, man. That is, that's an amazing, like, okay. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. How old are you? I'm 38. Okay. So I'm, uh, 14 years older than you. So I've been practicing, I don't know, 15 years longer than you. I had exactly the same revelation. So I was at that dream job at a great law firm and I had, let's see, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a toddler and I was, I had, I worked for about 12 different partners most of the time. And some of those partners were in the office at seven in the morning and wanted me there. And then they would work, you know, until early evening and then they would go. And others of them were more like show up about 1030 in the morning and work until eight o'clock at night. And it was sort of expected that I would be available most of the time for most of them, not 24 hours a day. But so my hours were long as a young associate at a big firm. And I was I was downtown Nashville one night sitting in a partner's office at about 730 or eight. And this is before cell phones and beepers and everything. So his direct line rang. Somebody had to know his direct line number. So he picks up the phone and it's his wife and she puts his son on the phone and his son is over the moon telling dad about the double he hit in tonight's baseball game. And I remember thinking if that's, if doing what I'm doing leads to getting that phone call, then maybe this isn't what I want to do. And I picked up and I left the big law firm and I went, to work with one guy who had been a judge or had been a, been a U.S. attorney, later became a judge, and um, never looked back. Have learned a great deal from great lawyers at the law firm, but like you, realized that it would be a monster and it would own me. Yeah. And so I, I loved my job. I loved being in the courtroom. I missed, uh, at this point, people ask me, do I miss being an attorney? I missed criminal jury trials. Uh, I, I missed... The, the drama, the suspense, uh, the, the high when the jury comes in and, and you get the verdict you want. Um, 
I missed that. But back to the the question. So I didn't think that being a judge was going to be a a lot less work, but I knew that court started at nine. It's usually over uh, no later than five. And so my experience has been the court don't start till you get there. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But I thought there was a likelihood that, you know, I I want to stay in the, and I want to stay in the legal uh, field, obviously. And being a judge would be an amazing position. And it would give me a chance to maybe make some baseball games and and stuff uh, as the, as my son's growing up. And uh, I'm just a type of person that believes that when a door opens for you, you better go through it. You, you can't wait around. You don't know when the next one's going to open. And uh, we had a judge who decided he was going to retire. And it was right at the time where, you know, there, there would not be a vacancy. I mean, there'd be a vacancy, but there would not be an appointment from the governor. The, it, it was going to be an open seat. Expire at the end of the mm-hmm. term, and you just have to run for it through the general election. And that was the first open seat uh, for- in my district in about 30 years. Yeah. and People, people that get that job— Frequently want to keep it, and so yeah, not always, but I, yeah, I didn't know when the next one was going to come around, and so I, you know what, I had, I'd built up a, a pretty good name for myself as an attorney, and uh, even though I'd only practiced for four years. I had tried a lot of jury trials and a bunch of different counties, and it was almost like I had 10 years' experience and how much work I'd been putting in. And um, and so I thought I was ready for it and ran for it and was, was fortunate enough to get the vote. So let's talk about the district that you now sit in but, but uh, came into to practice. It's the 12th Judicial District. It's six counties, which is a, a large number of counties to cover in any district. Some districts are just one county. Um, and it's geographically far flung. I was looking at it on the map and um, the term Ridge Runner came to mind. Tell me about the, the district and then I'm going to ask you about practicing and running for office in that because nobody but a judge would ever have to run in all six counties unless you wanted to be a, a congressman. That's from, right. You know, so, so tell me about the district. There's six counties. They are Bledsoe, Sequatchie, Marion, Franklin, Grundy, and Ray. Okay, and what are the county seats where you sit in those? Uh, there's Dayton, Tennessee, where I sit in the the Scopes Trial Courtroom in, in Ray County, Tennessee, which is so cool. Uh, so I preside in that courtroom. Uh, in Bledsoe, it's Pikeville. In Sequatchie, it's Dunlap. In Marion, Jasper. Uh, in Grundy County, Altamont. In Franklin County, it's Winchester. So f- from where we are sitting at your home? What's the what's the longest drive to court? Winchester is about an hour and a half or so. All right, it's not terrible, but it's pretty. Yeah, and then it's, well, then it's an hour from here to Dayton, which is on the other side of the district, and then it's in the eastern time zone. I have two mountain ranges, three lakes, uh, two time zones. It's a it's a large geographic district. Do you keep a fishing rod in your in your truck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a I, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. I'm so lucky to, to be able to you drive and you can put on the podcast and yeah, like, the courthouse in Winchester. You walk out and you you're looking at I don't know what range that is, right. but it's a it's it's like somebody thought about like you know what that's a good view. That's, oh yeah, so yeah. beautiful spot. And the, but yeah, you said practicing. It was you would. I was able to somehow work it to where I would have, you know, three or four counties. It seemed like in a day or at least two or three in a day. And you would make one judge happy in the, in the first one you went to, then the, then the next judge you were late for. And then the third one, you're even later and you were covering for your, your boss sometimes and your own clients. And just, you, it was just running around like crazy. Uh, it was very, a very hectic, but fun practice. You probably know every barbecue joint. Uh, up and down the road around here. I do. And then, uh, yeah, so campaigning in six counties. I th- I, I, w- I had a family, my mom and dad, and, and uh, my wife at the time, uh, 
everybody just pitched in and worked so hard uh, for me and had a lot of great supporters all over the place. And you just had to divide and conquer. I couldn't go to everything. So I'd have to send, you know, somebody to cover me in that county at an event. I'd have to go to this one. I think we walked in four Fourth of July parades in the same day. How many fish fries? Oh, fish fries and barbecues. I still will not, I will not eat fried fish or barbecue right now. I'm still <laughs> six, six years later. Six years later, I just do not, I do not want to eat it. Okay. So you run this campaign. Um, your opponent was a, uh, the chief prosecutor in the district. Um, and you became the first Republican to win a seat. How did, how did, was that? More about you, more about changing demographic, both. What do you, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? I just think I hit it at the right time. I was able to work very hard. And like I said, so many great supporters and family members that worked very hard for me. Uh, I was lucky to have the state Republican Party get behind me. And they helped out a lot. And then it, it was just the political uh, tides that shifted. You know, you had a lot of the um, sort of the old Southern Democrat and, uh, that had been around forever and been in control in the district. And a lot of these counties, um, well, th- three of those counties will still vote Democrat locally and then will vote Republican for state and federal offices. Hmm. And so I just kind of looked, I dissected the numbers and looked at it. And my opponent, yeah. my opponent was, was going to run as a Democrat and uh, really he was going to be unopposed. And so I, it was nothing against him per se. I just was like, you know, I'm going to give the voters an option. I'm going to give the voters a conservative Republican option here. And it worked out. So how do you manage your docket now? You've got, uh, are there other circuit judges that you, that you share the circuit with? Yes, I have. So there's two other circuit judges and a chancellor in my district and the circuit judges, we preside over civil and criminal matters. And for those who don't know how the system's broken down, each County has a sessions court judge. They handle the misdemeanors and they can't do uh, jury trials circuit court is just a step above that where we can do jury trials so i i reside over murders robberies drugs and then civil side uh, medical malpractice cases uh, personal injury divorces custody uh, land dispute contracts all that stuff all like all on the same day or do you divide them up do you have like civil docket day in sequatchie county on a tuesday or how does that it both uh, some of my counties the docket the criminal docket would be so large that day that i can't do anything else and then some of the counties the dockets are a little thinner so i can do a criminal and civil day so i can call a criminal uh clean assignment docket and get a status of all these cases. And I'll tell the DA and the attorneys, Hey, go in the jury room and talk about the cases. I'm going to call the civil docket at this time. And I start <laughs> calling civil cases up and I'll do a divorce or a little land dispute or um, maybe an order of protection or something. And then I'll finish that up and then I'll call the DA and the attorneys back out and say, all right, the criminal docket's resuming. Let's go. So sometimes when you have these, these count, these multiple County districts, some of the counties are more heavily populated. So you tend to spend more time, presiding there i do and you know like the dockets are just thicker so you you have to yeah you can't you you can't do a civil and criminal day usually in franklin county it's so such a large county that you have to go over there for one day dedicated to criminal and you might go back a couple days later and do all civil and then you rotate around to the different other counties and we, we all just rotate around and at the end of the year it kind of works out pretty even so um i was in meg's county um last year and I got the impression that they don't have a lot of uh, courtroom time in Meg's County. <laughs> like, it seemed like there were a lot of people there. And I thought, wow, this is busy. And then they were like, no, 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 no. We only do this like twice a month. Mm-hmm. So do you have a county like that where you, where you only get there once, you know, once every other week or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, some of the counties are like that. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so you like the job. Love it. You're going to keep the job? You're going to try to keep the job? I'm going to try to keep it. I'm going to run again in 2022. And, uh, and Those are eight-year terms? Yes. That's good. Yes. All right. So you heard it here first. <laughs> the re-election campaign has begun. Well, it, can't, it can't officially begin until... Okay. Your intent uh, is yeah, to... My intent is to You can't run. name you, a treasurer you, you yet. You can't but, announce that until I think it's 100 days before the primary. Okay. But, you're, but right now, if you, had, if you had to make that choice, you would say yes. I love my job. Okay, good. Um, all right, so here's a question I ask judges when I have the opportunity. Um, and this is one reason that I don't think I would ever really want to be a judge. Um, when you got elected... Did you find that you had suddenly new friends or that people that you knew treated you differently? Yes, they did. And I just, I hopefully, I, mean, I feel like I haven't changed any. I feel like I'm the same guy. Um, but it is, it is a mind trip. It is different whenever, all of a sudden, when you walk into a room, people stand up and people start calling you your honor and people do what you tell them to do or they go to jail. <laughs> and then, so you get, you kind of, you have to, you know, they call it, uh, you know, like black, black robe fever. You, you can't, you can't let it get to your, your ego and let it affect your personal life. And so, you know, a lot of judges will we'll talk about this at conference, you know, everybody gives you all this respect and you, then you might get home and your, 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 uh, your significant other is mad at you because you didn't take the trash out. You right. Know? And you're like, Hey, I'm a judge. You know that. Yeah. There's a great scene in the, in the series, the Sopranos where, uh, Tony Soprano, the mob boss is, uh, you know, he's the boss, love the show. right? Yeah, I love that And uh, he, he gets home one night and his wife, Carmela, is giving him a lot of grief because he didn't pick up the uh, the dessert, the, the cannoli. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, she's just wearing him out about it. Well, so. and so as far as, as far as that goes, your friends, uh, my friends I've had forever, they're still my friends. Nothing like that has changed. But being a judge actually is very isolating. And people that's what I was, that's part of the reason I don't think I'd ever really want the job. People don't really understand that. They think that everybody wants to be around you and talk about the cases. They can't, you know, you, if you go to lunch with an attorney and and you could talk about everything in the world, except a case, if somebody sees you at lunch, then all of a sudden now that next time that attorney's in front of you, they're going to file a motion to recuse that you're friends yeah. and, and, you know, people, people are really careful about, you know, perception about, you know, ex parte communication with a judge. And you're, so you, I drive alone in my truck to, to, court i usually sit alone in chambers uh if i go to lunch i'm sitting alone at at lunch and then i sit alone in the truck on the way home it's it's actually a very isolating position. now might be a good time to mention that i don't have any cases in front of you right now correct and in and in fact in all of history have only been in front of you briefly once and and have no plans to i have no no uh no cases pending so um yeah the judges in my district tend to go to lunch together and I mean, I get it, you know, that's, but, um, I think it would be, I think it would be tough. You have to, you, you do have a whole new set of layer of, of rules about that you have to follow. We have not only the professional code of conduct that attorneys must follow because we're still attorneys as far as we have to have to keep our law license. We don't get to practice because we're full-time judges, but then also we have the judicial code of conduct as well. So there, there are a lot of rules. Yeah. There's a lot of what you can't do in yes. the judicial conduct. Yes. Um, it, and it uh, it carries over to like social media and stuff. You have to be very careful about how you manage that. And yes, and if, you, if you've seen mine, I'm on Instagram. It's mostly me and my son. It's I don't really get into any hot button topics or talk about politics or anything too much. Yeah. So has the um, 
has the reality of being a judge matched your expectation of what it would be like to be a judge? Because lawyers, obviously to run for the job that you have now, you have to be a lawyer and presumably you have to have been in court. Um, so you've seen the job done and you've seen, you know, you know, judges, but then you become one. Does the, does the, your experience as a judge match up with what you thought it would be? It, it does now. Uh, I did not anticipate the level of stress that goes into making some of the decisions I have to make. I knew there'd be tough decisions, obviously, but once you're sitting in that seat and you have to decide uh, how many years somebody spends in prison, you have to decide where children live in a custody case and, and just so on and so on. Uh, you know, millions of dollars at stake in certain lawsuits. And that's, that's another reason I don't think I would ever really want to be a judge because I'm perfectly happy being a mercenary. Just give me one side, give me the, you know, give me the file, give me the rule book, give me one side, wind me up. I don't, it, you know, I'd just, be, I'd be just as happy taking the other side. I, uh, but with a judge, you got to actually like, I can just lay it on your doorstep and be like, here's my proof. Here's my witnesses. Here's the documents. Good luck. In the court. <laughs> in, in, yes. In the courtroom, you, you know, both sides present their arguments and then it's in front of me, it's in my lap and all the eyeballs are on me to make a decision. And, uh, if I don't make the right one, it can, people can suffer. Uh, if I take things for granted or lose my patience, people can suffer. Uh, I can get, you know, get appealed and get reversed. And what, there's the many things that can happen, but you talk about your expectations. Well, I, I knew it was going to be a, a, a tough job, uh, but also a fun job because, uh, it was just the, the different dynamic of presiding over a case and you don't have either side. You, you're in the middle, you're a neutral, uh, person just trying to make the best decision. The first year I was on the bench, I felt like I was in the wrong chair. Like, what? <laughs> why are y'all letting me sit up here? Sort right. of thing. You, and uh, yeah. I, I felt like I should have been, you know, be down there with the attorneys. Uh, it just, it was just awkward, just a lot of change. And then it, your second and third year, I kind of felt like I, I, I got maybe a little cocky, a little ahead of myself, probably made some rulings or uh, decisions that, you know, I, I, I could have done a better job at in retrospect. Uh, but then, I kind of felt like I hit my strides fourth and fifth year. Um, I kind of feel like I was able to, um, um, to do my job confidently, um, and, you know, to the best of my ability and render some good decisions. And, and I really have I felt good about my performance lately, uh, uh, on the bench. And, um, I just hope I can keep getting better and better every day. Do you remember your first jury trial that you presided over as a judge? I was thinking about that the other day and I do not remember. And I was, when I first took the bench, I was presiding over, it's probably about at least one trial a month. And that really has started to to drop civil and criminal civil cases are selling out. Criminal cases are pleading out. Uh, I don't remember the first trial I presided over, but I have, you know, I do remember some of the unique ones I presided over some murder trials and so forth. So people that don't do what we do often think that the murder trials are like, Dun, 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 you know, like the, like the TV version that they see. It's not at all like that. Um, but what is your, what, what's one that you remember presiding over that sticks out? Well, there was a homicide trial in Sequatchie County and, um, uh, a man stabbed a woman. He stabbed her in the back one time with a kitchen knife in, in, in the kitchen of this mobile home and just one time and it, 
through the back and it slit her aorta from the back and she just dropped and bled out within, they said within a minute or so she, she bled out and just the pictures of, you know, her, Uh. you know, her just dead on the kitchen floor. And, uh, people don't realize how much blood is in the human body until uh, they see some crime scene photos. Just, you know, just the, all the, the human emotions that went along with that. Um, you know, I've had a lot of other horrible cases that the child rape cases are really bad. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that get to you, especially having a young child. Those, those really get to you. Child homicide cases. When you're having to look at autopsy photos of, of, uh, children who have been, um, murdered or who are, you know, who are deceased by other means. It's, um, all right, let me lob one up for the lawyers that do practice in front of you. Um, in a custody trial, do you want to hear from children? Does it matter what, how old they are? And, how do you handle those? Well, of course, by statute, if they're 13 or older, I have to talk to them. If they're 12 years old, I can talk to them. I'm not supposed to talk to them under 12 unless I make a finding that they are mature and they understand the oath and all that. Um, I, I don't like talking to the children. I uh, hate bringing, I hate it when people bring kids in. I don't like doing it. Um, by statute, I have to, if they're over 13 and I will. And it's really just a conversation in chambers without the parents involved. And, we uh, we'll just keep it as light as you as you can, and I really I only like to do that if there are allegations of abuse. That's the thing. I, I, if a kid is the only witness to a fact, yeah, or the only person that can break a conf- conflict of factual event did or didn't happen, then okay, okay, reluctantly. If I'm the lawyer, you got to convince me that that the kid is the one that has to tell whether or not daddy said that to mommy or mommy slapped daddy or whatever but the generic who do you want to live with i man when i see lawyers do that i just cringe i'm like are you serious you're creating a memory for a child where they were dragged off to court and asked to pick between their parents that's right. And so I always encourage, of course, the parents to make the decision. Don't come to a stranger in a black robe to decide where your children live and go to school. That's, uh, you know, you'll I'll, do it if you I'll, have I'll to. I'll do it if I have to. That's my job. But uh, I definitely don't like talking to the children. And really, uh, in these in the family law cases, I've, I've struggled with my patients because I get I get frustrated whenever it really in 95% of the custody cases I can hear from the mom and the dad and, that's and, it. and they make my ruling. Yep. Um, and I really can do so. I don't uh, need to hear from six church members that say he's a great dad or teachers her, or, or her group of, of girlfriends that, that, that uh, she's such a good psych- mom. Yeah. Child psychologist, grandparents and all that. And I, and there's another tip for, for if you ever come in front of me for family law cases, I just don't like the mudslinging. I don't like the negative way to approach the case. I know as an attorney, your client brings you this big binder of stuff. They're like, Oh, you bring all this out and look at all these horrible right. things that they posted on Facebook or whatnot. And really to me, it's not effective to me. You should win your case by building your own client up. You should go through the custody factors in 366106 and take each each factor and say, here's how my client should win on this factor. Yeah. And it, I have, a, I, as a lawyer who's done custody cases for almost three decades now, I spend a great deal of time bringing clients around to the idea that tearing them down doesn't help. We're there. I want you to be likable. I want the judge to look at you and say, yeah, I trust this parent and I trust them with the time that I've been asked to give to them to do the right thing. Um, and it's hard to make that case when you're using your client 
to destroy the other spouse. I think I think TV and movies have kind of made that hard for you too, because everybody thinks it has to be so adversarial, and the only way you're going to win is your, if your attorney's a, yeah. a bulldog and just absolutely shreds your your ex spouse on the stand, and that's just not always the effective way to do it. Yeah. All right. So this segues into this question. So the the, the last question I asked was a pitch, a, a softball lobbed up there for the people that the lawyers that practice in front of you. Um, so here's one for you. Uh, what do you and the other judges wish that lawyers would do more of or less of that we haven't already talked about? Be more concise with your briefs and your arguments. Be, be considerate of your time, the court's time, uh, other attorneys waiting in the court for their time, their chance to get in front of a judge. Be, just be more concise. Be a lot more prepared and professional. I tell young attorneys, if you are two things, if you are prepared and you're professional, you'll be you'll set yourself above 95 percent of your colleagues in the courtroom for the most part i swear you will um and so be prepared be professional um and you know just just be just be courteous and know whenever you need to settle a case out if it's a criminal side and know when you need to throw it up for a jury trial uh and don't don't be unreasonable yeah i i was having a conversation with another lawyer in a previous episode and I said, yeah, you should be careful. If you're a young lawyer, be careful about the reputation you're trying to construct. Like if you, if you set out to construct a reputation that you're a bulldog and you're a, a fighter and a, yeah, you just might wind up with that reputation and, and it may not work out well. But I think the best advice that any judge has ever given an attorney, and I, I believe it was Justice Scalia, he said that if you're an attorney, tell the judge what you want the judge to do. It's that simple. I'll have so many attorneys that come up and they'll argue for an hour and they have all the proper case sites and everything is great. Their argument is, is flawless. I mean, beautiful job. And I'm sitting there trying to multitask and follow along and I'm looking up a case and I'm, and I'm hearing what they're saying. You have to multitask up there. And then they'll finish and I'll be like, so what do you want me to do? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now tell, what? Tell a judge what you want them to do in a nice way, obviously, and, and give and give a judge options. Give us an out as well, because you can lay out what you want us to do and or what you'd like us to do. Yeah. And what would also be an acceptable thing right. for both sides. And I it, try to do and clients, man. Sometimes that's a tough sell for oh, them. It's like you go in and you go, we're going to ask for 50 50 custody, but we have to have a fallback. Like we have to, we have to have a, a reasonable, if we can't have that, how about this? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I want 50, 50. I'm like, yeah, I know. But there's some logistical issues. You don't live real near, you work hours that are, you know, like not conducive to shared custody, whatever it may right. be that we can't roll an all or nothing choice here. Right. Cut to the chase and tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. Give me an option. So have you ever held anyone in direct contempt? And before you answer that question, let me explain to people that may not know what that means. So there's several different kinds of contempt. But the question I've just asked is, has basically this, has anyone ever acted such a fool in front of you in the courtroom that you said, that's it, put them in the, put them in the, put them in the custody, put put the cuffs on them and take them to the jail and let them sit for a while? I have, I have, you know, not, not often but it happens every now and then and you somebody has to be in control of the courtroom it might as well be you so it might as well be the judge or somebody's going to be probably in control ought of the to courtroom. be right and so you can't let anybody else take control of the courtroom you can't let people interrupt you can't let people uh disrespect the decorum and, and people's time you know some people most time when you're in court it's probably the most important day of your life if, as, a, as a litigant and then you need everybody to focus and be professional to make sure that you get your day in court. And I can't have people interrupting and doing things. And I'll, and on the record, I will warn them, 
you know, ma'am, I'm not going to tolerate any more outbursts like that in my courtroom. Uh, if you do it again, I will hold you in contempt. I put that on the record. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and then I might even do it a second time. Right. Ma'am, last warning. Right. And then, then you can, you know, if they keep it up, you have to do what you have to do to, to protect the, uh, the procedure and the decorum. Yeah. So, um, so what's next? Where do you, 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 your intent is to keep the job that you love. Any, any bigger plans than that? You have, can you imagine going back into private practice or? You know, I, I don't know. I love what I'm doing. I've already said that, and I hope to keep doing it for a while. If if I'm fortunate enough to get elected for a second term, and uh, you know, and serve all eight years, that'll be 16 years on the bench, um, and I'll at and I'll be 48, and my son will be graduating high school that year. Uh, who knows? That might be a, a transition time for me where I go back into private practice or, or stay on the bench. Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, as far as running for any of those political office, I'm so happy with where I'm at in the judiciary. So, but uh, in the meantime, uh, just, you know, having fun with my hobbies and enjoying my son and, and uh, doing the best I can as a judge. Thank you for sitting down with me. Yes, sir. Thanks for being here. Judge Angel was kind enough to host me in his home to record this episode. As I drove up to his home, I thought that one would never, ever wind up here by accident. I also noticed that he lives on a dead end. As I left, I realized the paradox I had observed. Judge Angel did not wind up where he is by accident, that's for sure. It's just as certain to me that he has not reached a dead end in his career. If you like what I'm doing here, click subscribe so you won't miss any future episodes and follow me on other social media. I have the handle ready for trial on just about everything. Until next time, this is Dana McClendon and this has been Ready for Trial.